Hello, and welcome to What Would Hayek Say? A series dedicated to exploring the ideas of the Austrian economist and philosopher Friedrich August von Hayek and applying these ideas to political problems both current and of enduring relevance. So let's see what Hayek has to say. What sounds to some like a conspiracy theory, to others a regrettable necessity, and to others still a no-brainer? Well, I'm not really great at riddles, but the answer is vaccine mandates. So what would Hayek say? I'm Scott Nelson with the Austrian Economic Center and Hayek Institute in Vienna, Austria, and this week we're going to take a look at what Hayek has to say about vaccine mandates. So we started this What Would Hayek Say series about a year and a half ago, and, and the entire time I've avoided discussing COVID-19 directly, partly because we've constantly been learning new things about both this virus as well as how to handle it. Now, my preference has tended to be to make videos on topics of both immediate as well as of long-lasting relevance, so you can revisit them later. So instead of discussing COVID-19, I've discussed things like regulating health or democracy or free speech, all of which I think are more perennial issues, but that also have a bearing on, uh, on the COVID situation. But now I'm going to look at a matter of immediate relevance, partly because it's being touted, by some at least, as a cure-all solution. And if it is, then great, because it means we can go back to being outraged about other things. So let me be clear from the outset. Given how much we know, or rather, how little we know, it's probably safer to be vaccinated than not. But that being said, there's a great deal of room for skepticism about a vaccine mandate, as well as the way the entire matter has been debated uh, thus far. So with that out of the way, let's get started. Now, Austria, where we are right now, uh, has actually been at the forefront um, when it comes to the vaccine mandate issue. As of February the 1st, the vaccine has been made mandatory all over Austria, and from mid-March on, unvaccinated people uh, will face police checks and fines of up to 3,600 euros. Austria's mandate was preceded by a lockdown of some 2 million of its own unvaccinated citizens that was finally lifted on January 31st. Uh, in other parts of the world, the Canadian province of Quebec uh, has also launched a new health tax on the unvaccinated citizens. In Italy, the unvaccinated can't work any longer, even, even remotely. And finally, Ursula von der Leyen, uh, for those of you who don't know, she's the president of the European Commission. She's re recently said that the EU must consider mandatory vaccination in response to the spread of the new Omicron variant. Now, this is all very interesting. Given that half a year ago, the very idea of a vaccine mandate was dismissed as a conspiracy theory propagated by anti-vaxxers. So what's the deal with the vaccine mandate? Why is there so much opposition toward it? After all, a bunch of vaccines are required and mandatory in the majority of the developed world for doing basic things like attending school. And if you accept other mandatory vaccines, then why not the COVID-19 one? Furthermore, we already accept numerous restrictions on our freedoms in the name of public health, from smoking bans to seatbelts. And yet, the discussion about vaccine mandates at times seems so upside down. It's the skeptics, or the anti-vaxxers, that have to prove why they are against the mandate. But in any functioning 
liberal society, the burden of proof for any mandate should be on the ones imposing it. This is especially the case when that mandate implies a significant infringement of personal liberty and of people's own self-property of their body. Even the WHO stated that a mandate should be a last resort. So is the vaccine mandate really necessary? Is it justifiable? Are there good reasons to impose this policy on the general population? These are the questions that we should be asking. So let's look at this uh, on a series of different levels. Uh, we'll start with the, the most, uh, we'll start with the, the philosophical level. Philosophically, insofar as individual liberty is the highest priority, a vaccine mandate is unjustifiable. But then so are a great many restrictions. And as desirable as it may be that we live in a polity that conforms to our perfect philosophy, we don't. So what are some of the messier levels on which to evaluate vaccine mandates? Let's go uh, legally, the legal level. Hayek was a big fan of rule of law, which is the very core of a liberal, liberal country. It's that you're, you're ruled by laws and not by the arbitrary whims of men. And Hayek was also a very big fan of the common law tradition. So one thing you could ask is, is there a precedent in your country for vaccine mandates? If so, then it becomes a lot more difficult to argue against a vaccine mandate this time around. Now, this is assuming that the virus is entirely unlike anything we've seen before in its severity, and assuming that the vaccine is more or less the same as, as any other vaccine. And yet on this point, it would seem that things are once again backwards. COVID-19 is not the worst thing we've ever seen. There's still a stronger case for getting vaccinated against hepatitis B or polio, for example. And the vaccine is not exactly the same as any other. We still don't know how much of it we need and how regularly. It hasn't had the years of testing that vaccines normally do. And although it has helped in keeping people out of intensive care units, it hasn't yet succeeded in doing what other vaccines do, which is to let us live a normal life. Now, what if there's no precedent for a vaccine mandate in your country? Well, you could always justify it by declaring a state of emergency. And this is what Hayek has to say about emergency powers. The basic principle of a free society that the coercive powers of government are restricted to the enforcement of universal rules of just conduct and cannot be used for the achievement of particular purposes, though essential to the normal working of such a society, may yet have to be temporarily suspended when the long-run preservation of that order is itself threatened. Though normally the individuals need be concerned only with their own concrete aims, and in pursuing them will best serve the common welfare, there may temporarily arise circumstances when the preservation of the overall order becomes the overruling common purpose, and when in consequence, the spontaneous order on a local or national scale must for a time be converted into an organization. When an external enemy threatens, when rebellion or lawless violence is broken out, or a natural catastrophe requires quick action by whatever means can be secured, powers of compulsory organization, which normally nobody possesses, must be granted to somebody. Like an animal in flight from mortal danger, society may in such situations have to suspend temporarily 
even vital functions on which, in the long run, its existence depends if it is to escape destruction. So if your entire order risks break down, then yes, a state of emergency is permitted. And as Hayek notes, this could be due to an external enemy or outbreak of mass violence. On that note, it's not, it's not a coincidental that we so often hear war rhetoric invoked to deal with whatever problem we feel requires mass mobilization. Climate change is only the most recent of these. Whatever the case may be, though, even if a state of emergency is justified in some cases, it must never be perpetual. So is a state of emergency justified in the case of COVID-19? Well, here we move to the medical level. Now, here in Austria, at least, mass vaccination has been touted as the solution to our present crisis. And it depends how, how one defines the crisis. Is it uh, intensive care units overflowing or just case numbers rising? And there seems to be the tendency to move the goalposts on this one. You might think you're fully vaccinated until it turns out that you're not. More than that, you might think that because you're fully vaccinated, you'll get a green pass that will give you access to safe uh, spaces with other vaccinated people where you won't be able to get the virus until we discover that the vaccines are not as effective in dealing with transmission. This, continue, this continuous moving of the goalposts allied with false promises is damaging to any political system or community. Back in March, for example, Dr. Fauci said that in order to achieve herd immunity in the U.S., 60 to 70 percent of Americans would need to acquire resistance to COVID-19, either through infection or vaccination. In recent appearances, however, his earlier estimate has gradually increased to the 80 to 85 percent level. And Fauci readily admits he's been moving the goalposts. Uh, in a telephone interview the next day, Dr. Fauci acknowledged that he had slowly but deliberately been moving the goalposts. He's doing so, he said, partly based on new science and partly on his gut feeling that the country is finally ready to hear what he really thinks, the Times reported. Fauci proceeded to say that we really don't know what the real number is. I think the real range is somewhere between 70 to 90 percent, but I'm not going to say 90 percent. He won't say 90%, he told the Times, because he's not sure there will be enough voluntary acceptance of vaccines to reach that goal. Now, even if this works in the short term, this continuous moving of the goalposts will create long-term skepticism against any further measures and discredit the real value of effective measures against the virus. And it also makes us wonder if the mandate is really justified. After all, if the mandate is meant to solve the crisis, why is this vaccine the only vaccine that doesn't allow us to go back to normal life? Now, on the other hand, updating our estimates is, is understandable. We don't know enough about the virus or the vaccines. And in a way, everyone was learning as, as they were going along, and it'd be foolish to expect the authorities to be right about every step they took. Hayek would be the first to acknowledge our ignorance how political authorities should be humble in the face of uncertainty. But humility on all sides is precisely what has been lacking in discussions of COVID. And this is damaging not only on the medical level, breeding skepticism uh, about the efficiency of both the vaccine and the safety measures, but it's also destructive on the political level. And this is that contentious level that I suspect is governing a lot of our debate about COVID and vaccine mandates. And the mandate could well make things worse. 
The mandates are leading to massive riots and public instability all across Europe. Uh, in Canada as well, some of you may have heard of the truck convoy that went over the weekend to, uh, to Ottawa, the capital. The, uh, even if one disagrees with the protesters and their cause, is it fair to attack them and stop them from expressing their views? The vaccination rate here in Austria sits at around 75% at the moment. I almost suspect the figure would be higher if it weren't for the arrogant way in which a quarter of the population is belittled as being somehow against science. Here they've been called incorrigible or unteachable. And in the U.S. in December, White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator Jeffrey Zients reassured the vaccinated that you've done the right thing and we will get through this, but followed this by saying that for the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death for yourselves, your families, and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. This was not a way of convincing the, the unvaccinated or changing their mind. They had already been exposed to plenty of similar warnings before. It was instead an address to the vaccinated, an assurance that they are on the side of the good while the others are bad. The public outcry would be massive if you had this same supercilious us versus them rhetoric targeting a particular race or sexual orientation. And in any case, there are many reasons why one might be against a vaccine mandate, but the impression one gets from the media is that all people against the mandate must be far right-wing radicals, conspiracy theorists, and idiots. So instead, as I've encountered in many conversations with others from all over the political spectrum, you have many people who have been vaccinated, but quietly whisper that they're uncomfortable anyways with the idea of a vaccine mandate. And what's ironic above all is that this demonization of the unvaccinated is in the name of solidarity. There's nothing more dangerous than sowing division in the name of unity. Another curiosity of the debate, as carried on in some places, is how you're assumed to be resistant to COVID only if you're vaccinated, where the definition of vaccinated could mean anything in some places, uh, meaning two shots, um, in others could also include uh, additional boosters. But what's strange about it is that it's like there's the choice is only between death and a blanket vaccination for the entire population. Forget the possibility that a person could choose both to be unvaccinated and avoid situations where he's likely to contract COVID. Or the fact that some age and risk groups are in greater danger from COVID infection than others, and that they should therefore be the ones to get vaccinated or stay home. But the stranger thing is that it may come to be the case that you're considered unsafe if you've developed a natural immunity. So if you've, if you've had COVID and recovered from it, a minister in, in Germany a month or so ago had called the natural immunity a dirty vaccination. Now, I can imagine that governments don't want to talk so much about this out of fear that people might prefer to expose themselves to the virus as opposed to get, getting the vaccine. But it's worth noting that a study published last year in the Journal of Infectious Diseases shows that naturally acquired COVID immunity persists for up to 11 months following infection. I've uh, included the link in the description below. Is it going to become common to make vaccination mandatory for people who have already had COVID? But this isn't the only problem when it comes to presenting the vaccine as the cure-all. 
A year ago, uh, immunologist Byram uh, W. Bridal wrote an article called Five Factors That Could Dictate the Success or Failure of the COVID-19 Vaccine Rollout. Uh, I've included a link to this article in the description as, as well. And, and note, this is already from, from a year ago. Uh, when it comes to the duration of immunity of COVID-19 vaccines, Bridal states that if immunity declines before herd immunity is achieved, previously vaccinated individuals will become susceptible to infection again and the rollout could fail. Now, as we recall from the Fauci quotes earlier, we're not entirely certain at what point we would reach herd immunity. And in any case, it turns out that the duration of immunity seems to be short and the vaccine uh, can't always stop contagion. And to return to the natural immunity versus vaccination issue, Bridal also stresses that acquisition of natural immunity, which targets multiple components of the virus, may reduce the risk of infection with variants that can bypass spike protein-specific immunity. This is something that vaccines can't do and that vaccine mandates will willingly ignore. Recently, Professor Cyril uh, Cohen, senior advisor to the Israeli government on vaccines, has admitted that he and his colleagues were surprised and disappointed that the vaccines did not prevent transmission as they had originally hoped. He goes on to say that, especially with Omicron, where we don't see virtually any difference, there's a very narrow gap between people vaccinated and non-vaccinated. Both can get infected with a virus more or less at the same pace. So this makes previous measures that, that predate the mandates like the Green Pass obsolete. The Green Pass is meant to be a certificate that granted you access to places with other vaccinated people. This gave you assurance that transmission was prevented and you had a safe space where things could go back to normal. But Omicron might make the Green Pass obsolete. And there's no reason to think that a vaccine mandate will do any better. So the mandate will not be effective in lowering the transmission rate, or at least not necessarily will it be effective in doing so. And that makes it so that even if we grant that the vaccine works, it is still mostly a matter of individual protection. And individual protection should be left to the individual. So is the vaccine mandate really the only way to end the pandemic? Of course, the end of a vaccine mandate is to have the totality of the population vaccinated. And that would presumably give us the possibility of going back to normal. End lockdowns, drop masks, and just return to life as it was. But is that how things have been playing out in countries with high vaccination rates? Let's visit Portugal. Portugal is one of the highest vaccination rates in Europe, with around 90% of the population uh, with at least one dose of the vaccine. As we've seen before, this high vaccination rate has been very beneficial when it comes to dealing with severe cases and intensive care. But even with 90% of the population fully vaccinated, the mask is still widely obligatory. PCR tests are required for things such as going to the cinema, restaurants, clubs and bars, or sports events. Even at this high level of vaccination, people are still living as they were last year. So is it working? Well, it seems to be most effective at lowering the cases in intensive care units, which is important, both for the health system and for individuals themselves. But are there alternatives to a vaccine mandate that could still preserve individual liberty and the health system? People haven't talked a lot about Sweden lately, but its approach to the, uh, to the pandemic is a good example of what an alternative could be. And it was a, a case of some interest when, when COVID broke out uh, initially. 
so let's just do a quick review of, of, of Sweden because it's also closer to a Hayekian approach, relying on personal autonomy and decentralization, avoiding lockdowns and trying to keep things going as they, as they were. From the beginning, Sweden took a different path to its European counterparts. During the pandemic, schools remained open, except for people uh, over age 16 and universities, which were judged to function well enough remotely. Uh, restaurants and bars uh, as well, they remained open, although only for, for table service to avoid throngs gathering at the bar. But there was never really a real lockdown. Um, since the beginning, Anders Tegnell, the main person responsible for, uh, responsible for Sweden's COVID policy, openly talked about the inevitability of the disease passing through a large chunk of the population, and even said that containing the disease would not even be desirable, since it will surely only come back. Omicron has only confirmed this. But according to public opinion, Sweden quickly became the example of how not to handle the pandemic. Throughout the spring of 2020, Sweden's death toll per capita was higher than most other countries, and this is generally considered solid proof that the Swedish strategy failed. The Swedish experiment was judged early on as a disaster, so said Time magazine. The world's cautionary tale, so said the New York Times. Or deadly folly, so said The Guardian. Everyone judged Sweden's freedom would be costly. But things didn't end in 2020. During the second year of the pandemic, the US, France, Poland, Portugal, the Czech Republic, Hungary, Spain, Argentina, Belgium, countries that had variously shut down playgrounds, forced their children to wear face masks, closed schools, fined citizens for hanging out on the beach and guarded parks with drones, have all been hit worse than Sweden. By late 2021, more than 50 countries had a higher death rate than Sweden. And if Sweden was a part of the US, its death rate would rank number 43 of the 50 states. With a similar population to Portugal, both with about 10 million people, Portugal has had by now roughly 2.1 million infection cases and 20,000 deaths. Sweden, on the other hand, without nearly as tough measures, counts 1.7 million cases and 16,000 deaths. That's less cases and less deaths in a similar population sample and without the major costs on the economy, education and society that Portugal and other countries have suffered. Sweden's health minister uh, remarked that keeping vaccinations voluntary, building trust and helping citizens make informed decisions has proved to be successful in reaching high vaccination rates in Sweden. We'll have to see how this develops in the coming months uh, since their vaccination rate is just under Austria's. Will they go the same way as Austria? And what, for that matter, will the effect of Austria's vaccine mandate be? But there are other options as well. If you've got a case where ICUs are overflowing and the majority of the people there are unvaccinated, there's still ways to respect an individual's liberty, but yet also suggest that people should get vaccinated. For one, the individual can pay the costs of the additional risk. Freedom and responsibility, after all, do go together. In Greece, people over the age of 60 are required to pay a 100 euro fine each month that they remain unvaccinated. Uh, Singapore has unvaccinated COVID patients pay for their own medical bills, and uh, Illinois has introduced a bill to the same effect. The flip side of these measures uh, was put forward by commentator David Frum, who encouraged hospitals to quietly triage emergency care to serve the unvaccinated last. It's an option, though I fear that such a measure would only further widen the gap in society and discriminate against a group of people. At the end of the day, 
I think that Hayek would consider getting vaccinated in this instance to be a good idea. The point is that we don't know enough, and so it's a game of probabilities. But I also think Hayek would have a great de uh, deal of sympathy for those who resist yet another government-imposed measure. He would see that people's patience is running out with this whole situation, and he would certainly have us beware the certitude and many of the specious arguments that have been used thus far to push vaccine mandates. We come back to Hayek's warning against the pretense of knowledge. And I may very well be wrong in the arguments that I've advanced here. Time will tell. But admitting that you could be wrong is more than most people have been willing to admit for the past two years. And that's what Hayek would say.